0: Okay, this isn't what it looks like, right, Peyton? Mm-hmm. Secret Series by Pseudonymous Bosch, book four. Now we're going kind of a little bit wonk duty. In chapter negative eight, we're on page 63. Okay. Chapter negative eight, Double Vision. When the double monocle gave her a headache, Cass wasn't sure what she'd expected to see all those ghosts that the seer was talking about, but all she got was a dizzying experience of seeing double through a single eye. Holding the monocle tight, she turned in a circle, surveying the world around her, as one object exited her vision and another took its place. The first object, a pitchfork, a donkey, a bale of hay, seemed to leave an afterimage. Like when you wave your hand through the air and it appears to have left a trail in its wake a curious effect but hardly paranormal. This double vision, she thought, not second. This is double vision, she thought, not second sight. But when she put down the monocle, she noticed something rather surprising. Some of the other things that she'd been looking at were much further away than they'd appeared through the monocle. To the naked eye, they were mere specks in the distance. She looked into the monocle again, confirmed that, yes, it, it functioned like an exceptionally powerful pair of binoculars as she moved to the, the monocle away from her eye and then back again she noticed something else some things that she was seeing through the monocle that weren't visible otherwise they were blocked by walls by animals by people with the monocle she could see almost everything around her no matter how far or how covered up they were maybe not as exciting as spirits but cast thrilling thrilling "'but to cast thrilling nonetheless and more useful. "'Certainly it would make finding someone much easier. "'She turned in the direction "'in which she'd last seen the jester. "'The crowd had not fully dispersed. "'With the monocle, "'she could see through the throngs of people in the market, "'and yet she could could still not see him. "'The box he'd been standing in was bare. A a, "'A quick glance around the monocle "'was sufficient to confirm the bad news. "'He was gone.' despair threatened to overtake her but but she stifled with an act of will she had been plenty of it she had been in plenty of more difficult situations than this she reminded herself of course in the time of those situations max ernest had been with her more often than she had expo- had had not complained but that she was just getting in the way but now that he wasn't by her side she suddenly felt helpless she depended on his logical mind to solve puzzles and crack codes if he were here with her what would she say that what would she say that would help him find the jester well what do we know about the jester she imagined max Ernest asking dutifully she started making a list in her in her head the jester was the founder of the turkish society Number one, the jester was a founder of the Turkish society. Two, he liked to rhyme and tell jokes. Three, he wore a silly hat with bells. Four, he worked for the king, if you could call being a jester work. Five, he had pointy ears like hers and he was a great great great, well, she wasn't sure how many greats, grandfather. Six, he lived in a tent. Seven, he knew the secret. Most of these things Cass knew from talking to her friend late the late great homunculus mr cabbage face being 500 years old he'd known the jester personally he also was only two feet tall or nearly and born in a bottle that's another story and that's another story a story told in the legend of cabbage face or book two On the list, November 4th, he worked for the king. Number number 4, he worked for the king. Number 6, he lived in a tent. Seemed to be the only items of information that might help at this moment. The king, Cass assumed, lived not in a tent, but near in a palace castle. That was the difference anyway. What was the difference anyway? This palace or castle, Cass could hear Mass Ernest saying that the logical first place to look for the jester if the jester wasn't there, she might find him in his tent nearby. So the question was, where was the palace? She dropped the words or the castle for the sake of of brevity because Max Ernest wasn't really listening to her thoughts. Not that she was aware of, anyways. Being invisible, she could only walk very well for... She couldn't walk very well, ask for direction Or ask for directions. Or... Being invisible, she couldn't very well ask for directions. There were no signs unfortunately. The market might have looked like a Renaissance fair, but there were no helpful markers stuck on the ground with arrows pointing one way to the king's palace and one way to the old d pizza stand. which why had which way had she come from? "'What would be a good place to start? "'Since she hadn't seen a palace on her way into town, "'she might try the opposite direction. "'Before she could start retra- retracing her steps, "'a trumpet sounded. "'Make way, make way, the duke is on parade, "'and he brings gifts for the king.' <clears throat> "'All at once, the crowd of people in the market "'divided into two. "'Some grumbled in annoyance, "'others chattered with excitement, "'but everyone stepped aside "'as if it were no option but to obey. "'A moment later, the procession started passing through Cass surveyed the participants through the double monocle. First came the series of soldiers and foot footmen she presumed, unless the word had more specific meaning. They held curving they held curving swords and wore puffy pants, knickers as Cass would call them, that ended at the knee. Then there were the knights on horseback. they were in full armor and gleamed in the sun, long swords and longer. "'javelins hung at their sides, ready and waiting for the next joust. "'Whoa, boy, tally-ho!' they shouted to their horses. "'Also on horseback were several finely-dressed men and women "'who s- would simply call lords and ladies in a Renaissance fair, "'but who, in actuality, cast figured had more specific names and titles. "'And they did not call out to the crowd, "'but rather chattered and gossiped among themselves, "'teasing one another cooling and cooling names with fans.' "'their stiff, riff- ruffled collars moving on slightly breeze. "'Who were they? "'The Duke's family and princesses and princes? "'Watching them watching them pass by what looked like to a history book "'without being able to read the text. "'The images meant nothing without captions explaining them. "'In the very middle of the procession is a large wooden chest "'studded with brass on all sides, "'held aloft by four mute, muscle-bound soldiers.' They grunted with effort and counted rhythmically, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, to synchronize their steps. Around Cass, peasants grumbled at the sight of the chest. Gifts for the king, he says, more like duty for the king. Tis not a gift you dem- if you demand it. Ah, uh, don't shed a tear for the duke, he can afford it. Course he can, he takes all of our profit. I wonder what's inside that chest, Cass thought, edging closer to the procession. She exclaimed that the chest, she examined the chest through the monocle. There was something about the lock that was large and ornate that resembled a coat of arms that told her more than simply money lay inside. In any case, the chest was headed for the king. So she would follow it to the palace, and with any luck to the jester, her invisibility gave her great freedom to, of movement, and she was about to fall into place behind the last footman when a funny thing happened in front of her a head a man's head that be more precise peeked out of the barrel that sat seemingly abandoned at the edge of the market surprised and momentarily overwhelmed by the scent of onions Cass exhaled exhaled loudly the man wheeled around and looked straight in her direction he was wearing a black mask over his top half of his face and white on the bottom half was covered by some rather angry looking whiskers he held a large axe in his hand were it not for the sticks of hay and assorted onion skins sticking out of his hair he would have looked like very he would have looked very sinister cass tried not to flinch reminding herself that he couldn't see her frowning the masked man turned back and stepped quietly out of the barrel he gestured silently to his right and cass saw another man step out of a sack of potatoes Still, an, still another man stepped out of an apple crate. Afraid to make a noise, Cass watched, transfixed. It was clear that these men were about to embark on some kind of illicit, probably criminal activity. But what activity in particular, she had no idea. Suddenly the sound of galloping horses drowned out all of the other noises in the market. Looking over her shoulder, Cass saw another masked figure thundering towards, towards her on a tall black steel steed. The horse's neck was bent low, his long black mane flying in the wind. Matching the horse's posture, the rider was also bent forward, long dark hair flying around them. Carts overturned, cages sprung open, people scattered, but the horses on riders seemed to occupy their own universe, so fast moving that in comparison to the rest of the market seemed to exist in slow motion. And yet, With their monocle, Cass could see every inch of the horse and rider as if it had stopped altogether. The horse came closer, a living cyclone of clattering hooves and flared nostrils and gleaming muscles, and for a brief second, Cass caught a glimpse of the masked rider. It was a woman, a beautiful woman, her lips pursed in concentration. Anastasia! Anastasia! The name rippled through the crowd, repeating like incantation. A moment later, the horse was hurtling towards the procession. To all, it happened so fast. Nobody knew where it to turn. Their screams and shouts were in commotion. The soldiers waving swords, horses spinning in circles, ladies, even a lord or two, fainting in fright. Within seconds, the big wooden chest was on its, on the ground. The be-whiskered bandit, a few of the onion skins still stuck to his hair, dropped to his dropped his heavy axe down on the lid of the chest, breaking the big brass lock. The soldiers who'd been carrying the chest watched helplessly as their hands were tied behind their back. Quickly and deftly, the masked woman, Anastasia, tossed the ruby rings and emerald necklaces and silver goblets and candlesticks, each into her masked cohorts in turn. Um, now on horseback themselves, they caught, caught by the glittering booty caught the glittering booty with outstretched hands, then... Urged their horses away from the market in the direction of the neighboring woods. What's this? Her axe welded a companion in a small wooden box and held up a jagged black rock. The rock was about the size of a cantaloupe and had very thin veins of gold running through it. It's ugly, but it, but it must be very valuable. Anastasia said. Anastasia ripping it, op- ripping open a heavy bag and finding it full of gold coins. Otherwise, the duke would not dare send it to the king. As she spoke coins started flaring out of the bag landing in mysterious rock landing on the mysterious rock rains and spurs chains even a bit of metal in the vicinity seemed to draw it in soon the rock was covered with small mountain of metal Cass watched from the crowd through the through the le- lens of the double monocle the rock had a unique bluish glow it seemed to almost pulsate which was she imagining it or could she feel the monocle being tugged in the rocks direction anastasia stared at the rock i have never seen the like experimentally her bandit colleague brushed away the coins making a clear path he brought his axe close to the rock and it stuck to the rock with a clang what power he said pulling them apart It is the stone of the sorcerer. Do you think it is cursed? Nonsense. There is much more simple explanation, I am sure, said Anastasia. Put it away, Thomas. I think there will be time to play later. Take this chest with you. It is nearly empty now. I and the rock more than it. With a hint of, of nervousness, the masked man, Thomas, carefully placed it inside the rucksack, and then he strapped the big wooden chest to the back of his nearest horse, jumped on, and galloped away. Meanwhile, Anastasia had had raised another bag of coins above her head and now i will give back to the people what is theirs she spun around she spun the bag around with flourished raining gold coins and cheering and the cheering crowd anastasia anastasia uh, hooray for anastasia they chanted her horse reared tossing a thick black mane in the air so that it was backlit by the sun she brought her horse down on all four legs the mysterious generous thief tossed her own black mane in a similar fashion. Then she too galloped away, following her bandit com- comrades in the woods. Cass watched wistfully through the double monocle as she felt an unexpected yearning to follow oops to follow after this daring woman, and her brand new her, and her band of thieves. But her job was elsewhere. With a sight she lowered her monocle. She turned backwards to the procession, or what remained of the procession after the robbers had done their work and prepared to follow them to the palace. Ooh.